So tonight's Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 10, and starting at verse 25, Luke chapter 10, on page 1041. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah, for reading, and Darren uh, for praying for us. Uh, Wonderful to have you here. Uh, If you are visiting with us uh, for the first time, um, really good to have you. And again, for the CIO team, wonderful to have you here. We've uh, good to pray for you in the service. We've been praying for you um, and anticipating you coming. The, The past couple of months in our church family prayer meetings, we've been praying. Uh, for the CIO teams coming, so really good to have you here. Uh, keep, keep the Bible open as we come to look at this parable, as we begin this little series on Sunday evenings. Uh, some parables you feel, if you know anything about the parables of Jesus, some parables you, you feel everyone knows, uh, and this is one of them, isn't it? The Good Samaritan, it's about helping people. Uh, but just before we relax into it too much, it is it's kind of worth noting what prompts it. Did you notice? Uh, Verse 25, uh, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. It's worth noting that, isn't it? This is a discussion, if you like, between experts with a test question. So thinking caps on for this one. Whatever you thought about it, it's not just straightforward. This is a a tricky question. Start with the question. uh, 
And there it is, verse 25. Teacher, uh, he asked, this is the, the teacher of the law, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this lawyer, that's who he was, a teacher of the law, he's, he's a legal expert. Just to be clear, he's someone who believes in God. He's not an atheist, he believes in God. His, his question is not about whether there is a God or not, his question is about the future. How do I inherit eternal life? That, that's what this question is about. The Jewish people knew God had said one day he would sort out this world, all, all the mess that goes on in it, he would sort it out. And all through the Bible, he promises that day and he pictures that day, he does it in all sorts of different ways. At various points, he describes a future world where, where children can live in safety. He, he describes a world where uh, the humble and not the arrogant are rewarded. He, he describes a world where there's no more death or illness or suffering or sadness. And God said, as you, as you follow the story of the Bible, that he would save a people for this. And this lawyer seems to be asking this question, seems to be asking, how can I know if I'll get in? In religious language, this is how can I know I'll be saved? You ever think that? You ever think that question, how, how, can, I, how can I know if I'll be saved? And if you're not a Christian, don't imagine uh, you never do. Everyone does in some way. And it's, it's good to remember, those of you in the CIO team, this week you'll meet people, even those who, who say they're, they're not really interested in, in religious questions at all. They ask this question one way or another. Uh, perhaps not in religious categories, but the question will come up in, in ways like this. People will ask the question, does my life really matter? When I get to the end, will it have been worthwhile? What happens when I die? When I close my eyes for the, the last time in this life? Everyone asks something about that question. Is this all there is? Is there something else? Uh, those of you on the team and the rest of us will we'll meet people this week who, who that question somewhere, even if it's in the back of their minds, is going around. Now, I said this lawyer seems to be asking that question, but he's not really asking it personally. Do you remember what Luke said here in our reading? Remember, Luke said it's a test question. He's asking it to test Jesus. He's really asking Jesus, do you know how to spot people who are on the inside? Do you get that? Now, this man stands up to test Jesus test Jesus with this question. Do you know how to spot people who are on the inside with God, people who are on track for the good life? Tricky question. Here's how Jesus answers. Here's the first thing. If you want to scribble notes, you, you can do. If you, if you don't, maybe you can just keep this in mind. But Jesus begins to answer this way. People who know God, if you like, people who are on the inside are saved to love. Jesus uh, asking the man, I, here, here, here's how Jesus begins. He begins with him. He says, look, how do you read the message of the Bible? You're someone who knows the Bible. How do you read the message of the Bible? That's verse 28, isn't it? What is written in the law? How do you read it? What have you made of it? You've read through the Bible. The Bible's a big book. I'm a slow reader. Don't know about you. If, if you're one of these people who's gifted in being able to 
read quickly. Uh, I, can, I can read about as quickly in my head as I can read saying it out loud, so that makes me a pretty slow reader. Uh, but this guy, I think he's a bit of a quick reader because he seems to summarize the whole of the Old Testament and God's plan for people in just a few lines. That's not bad, is it? You think about the, old, the whole of the Old Testament. Somebody says, give me it in a couple of lines. Where would you begin? Here, here's what this man does. He does it in verse 27, and he quotes two Old Testament passages. One of them is from Deuteronomy 6, where he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then the next bit he quotes comes from Leviticus 19. Another Old Testament book, verse 18, Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, those words in the Old Testament, they were spoken to the people God rescued or saved from slavery in Egypt. And they're told, look, now that God has saved you, now that he's come and rescued you, listen to him and keep remembering that the good things that you've got, that they're gifts from God. Don't become arrogant thinking you've, you've magicked all this stuff up yourself, this life you've got. They're, they're gifts from God. Don't, don't become arrogant. And you understand what God is saying in the Old Testament to his people. You're, you're not saved because you've done lots of good things. It's because I've loved you. So live trusting me. And if you've really trusted me, you'll, you'll go on trusting me and it'll look like this. You'll, you'll trust God. You'll, you'll love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And God's people, those who, who know God are saved to love. Saved to love God. That's what they'll begin to do. And because you know all the good stuff you have, even when it involves hard work and most of the stuff we, we've got some way, we, we still work as well, we do things, God organizes life that way. It, even, though, even when it involves hard work, ultimately you've not earned it. It's because God's been really kind. And if you keep that in mind, when you come across others in need, you'll start to deal with them the way God's dealt with you. You'll be saved to love God, and you'll be saved to love like God. God's people are saved to love. Now, that's what this is getting at. Well, that's so far, so Old Testament, but what about us? And look, even in the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people knew that that rescue from slavery, while it was a real and genuine event, it really happened in history, it also became like a, a picture of the big rescue that everyone needs. Because God says we're all stuck in a kind of slavery. Slavery to sin. Ruins life. Makes us God's enemies and there's nothing we can do. Like, like those people in Egypt, we need God to save us and you understand what the Bible's telling us? How, how, do, how do people in our messy world that's ruined by sin get saved? How do you navigate your way through life so that in the end, you'll land in eternal life? Well, the answer is, and the only answer the Bible gives is you, you trust God alone to save you. you. You surrender your life to him and he will make you safe. He'll save you. And you'll know you're trusting him because one of the changes that will start to happen is you, you really will start to listen to him and, and you'll find you're starting to love him. 
not just believe things about him, you, you begin to love him and you, you love his values. And you'll know this, I was thinking about it this way, I read this in a book, Christianity, and put it this way, Christianity is N-shaped, not U-shaped. I don't know how you think about the, the message of the Bible, do you think of it being N-shaped or U-shaped? And you might think, oh, that's an odd thing to say. I've never thought about it either of those ways, but think, think about it this way, N-shaped would be, Christianity is not N-shaped, it's not about if you follow the shape of the end, it's not about living a good life in order to get up to God in the hope that he might then respond and come down to us. That'd be a kind of end-shaped way. No, it's about trusting the God who has already come down to save us in order to sweep us up in his gracious plans and bring us back up to himself. It's, it's you shape. That's the way uh, the God of the Bible works. And when you start to love God, you'll start to love like him. You'll, you'll love other people. This guy seems to get that. And so verse 28, Jesus commands him. Uh, you've answered correctly. Do this. That's, that's the life you come into. Uh, do this and you'll live. Now, I said this man seems to have got that. And we'll see why maybe he's not. I don't know if you've ever been in the situation. Have you ever been in a conversation where you've kept going longer than you should have? You've sort of been doing all right in the conversation. You've bluffed it so far. And people listening to you think, think they know what they're talking about. And you should have stopped, but you kept going just a little bit longer. And then you said something that gave the game away. And you have no, it's become clear to everyone. You really don't know what you're talking about at all. That's what happens here. Uh, this, this expert lawyer, he says something and you realize he's really not got it. He's really not understood it. Verse 29, he says to Jesus, following on from this quote about loving your neighbor, he says, verse 29, and, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And if you pause and think about it long enough, you understand what he's saying. He's saying something like this. Who do I need to love in order to have done enough for God? Who, who are the people? How far does the list go in order to have done enough to be on the inside with God? So here's the second thing. That if you don't know God, you'll begin to limit love by your own standards. Get that, keep that in mind. Luke tells us this man's motivation. You see in verse 29? Uh, he wanted to justify himself. Uh, that word justify there is, is kind of a, a technical word. It would have been used as a, is a kind of legal word. He, he's talking with a, a lawyer here. It, it's a way of kind of would have been used in the courts. As a, a, is, it means to declare righteous if you like, it's in a court, it's the judge saying, you're in the right. I'm declaring you righteous. You're, you're not guilty. You're okay. And look, Luke pops this in for us because it's an insight into this man. You, you understand what it's saying? He wants to justify himself. He's being the judge about himself. He's subtly wanting to make clear, I think I'm a good guy. On Twitter, hashtag humblebrag. 
uh, we put something like that out. He, he's saying about himself, I, I think I'm all right. I think I've done enough. He's sort of indicating I've done enough myself to be on the inside with God. And you see the problem with that. That's the opposite of trusting God to save you. It's, it's beginning to say, I, I, I've done it all right myself. Uh, that's saying I'm pretty sure uh, I'm sort of good enough to be okay. And it's one of the funny things uh, you come across at times. Often the people who say no to God, it's not because they think they've been too bad. It's because they think they're a bit too good. That's often the people who will say no to God. Either I'm already good enough, or at the very least, if I wanted to be, I could be. Why would I ask God to save me if, if deep down... I think I'm good enough. So some might look at their lives, their relationships, their money, their, their work, their friends, and think, I'm fine, I don't need God. And even if there's some wrong things, I'm better than a lot of people. I'm maybe even better than most. And you see what will happen next, because if I believe I can be good enough, I'll think other people can be good enough too. And if they're not, by my standards, well, then they're just not trying as hard as me. And that means I can sort of look down on them as well. Compared with me, they're the bad ones. I'm someone who's put the effort in. I deserve God's blessing. Uh, but there are others who don't. And so the question, verse 29, who is my neighbor? Who are the people that come within the bounds of the, the people that you should help? Because they probably deserve it. That's what he's getting at. See what he's doing? Uh, God says everyone's stuck in sin. Uh, but he has a generous plan to save people to be like him. God is generous in his love. He'll show it to anyone humble enough to ask. And he wants the people who will fill his world to be like that. But here's a man who thinks, I deserve God's blessing. How much effort do I need to put in with the kind of people who don't? And if you hear that and what he's saying, you realize he's really not got it. He doesn't really understand God. Uh, people who don't really know God always begin to limit love by their own standards. Now, you know how it works. Um, uh, you kind of uh, limit it to, you limit it to who you offer it to. I've got a list in my mind, but, but not these people. Or you limit it by defining what love looks like. I'll decide myself what the standards are. Now, remember... All this was a test question. It was this man coming to test Jesus, but by the end of it, it's really who, Jesus who's beginning to test him. So here's the last thing. It's what Jesus does with this parable. It's the third thing to think about. is like how to examine your own life. How to begin to just look honestly at what's going on in your, your own heart in the way you... Respond to God and respond to other people. You'll know the story. I'm sure you'll have heard it many times before. This, the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man's going to Jericho. Robbers attack him and leave him half dead. And three people come along. Verse 31, you, you know it, you, you read it. There's a priest and he passes by. Verse 32, there's a Levite. He passes by. In verse 33, there's a Samaritan. He stops. 
And he takes pity on the man. He cares for all his needs, even uh, when it costs him money. And at the end, Jesus asked the very simple question, who was a neighbor to the man? It's obvious, isn't it? Verse 37 The teacher of the law can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan, but the the expert in the law replied, he knows the answer, the, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do the same. Uh, the story is intended to be a test. Uh, let me try and explain. Look, imagine, imagine you're at a friend's house and they've got young children who, who really like you, they know you well, and you ask them a question. You ask them, are you ticklish? Just imagine the reaction to that. In fact, why not do that just for a moment? It's warm, you're a bit sleepy. Just turn to someone sitting beside you and, and ask them, are you ticklish? And just see the reaction that you get. Take a moment to do that. Okay, you've had enough time. You get to a certain age and nobody's really tickling you anymore, are they? You, that, that's an experience. I mean, it's so, so, um, it, it's so, uh, uh, oh, it's awful when you're younger, isn't it? It's awful when it's younger. Maybe you've got memories of that. But the reason for mentioning that is, look, I found even the most honest people become liars when you ask them that question. Uh, I went into the church office during the week and I said to somebody who was working in there, are you ticklish? They didn't answer, but I could feel them tense immediately. <laughs> you ask that question to people and even if they're super honest, you feel they want to say, no, I'm not. But you kind of know, don't you? You, you can tell straight away. Uh, and then what you do is, if you, if you know that only if you know them well enough, I'm not suggesting you all do this at the end, but you, you only need to prod them once and the game's up, isn't it? You prod them once and the game's up. You know it. They can't deny it. They squirm immediately. They run away. And this parable is a bit like that. It's a prod in the side of this man. And it's intended to expose, look, not whether he's ticklish, but it's intended to expose what his heart's like, his, his pride and his lack of love. Uh, the priest and the Levite in this story, they're the religious establishment. They are respectable conduct and they are respectable opinions. That's who they are. For Jews, Samaritans were the worst kind of people. And a self-respecting Jew wouldn't even speak to one. And Jesus says to this man, go and be as good as a Samaritan. It's a prod in the side, isn't it? And you can imagine his pride flaring, I'm better than those people. Look at how respectable I am. And as for this loving uh, Samaritan, you see the prod in his other side. This lawyer's come asking, how good do you have to be in order to be saved, to be on the inside with God? And Jesus says, don't you know, even a Samaritan can be saved and start to be neighborly the way God wants. Are you loving that way? I mean, who is the respectable establishment for you? Who do you look at and think that's respectable conduct? That's respectable opinions. That's the standard to live by. It's probably not a priest or a Levite, but it might come down in some other way. Have you found Jesus prodding you in terms of your pride and your love? 
Uh, maybe it's in, in church life. And maybe here at Christ Church Cambridge, you know, Jesus says, these people, these people in the church family, I'd like you to be committed to them. I want you to love them. Spend time with them. Come each week. Stay and talk to them. Befriend some. And you think, but I'm busy. And, and some of them, they're not really my kind of people. I prefer other people. And Jesus says, oh, oh what, what better people? People like you. Or maybe it's to do with listening to Jesus. Remember, God says that the people he saved, trust me, listen to me. Uh, this year, we've, we've thought as a church family about all sorts of different things. We've thought uh, about what the Bible says about marriage and singleness. It's not easy, is it? We've thought about some of those things, and, and it's hard. And it's important to say again, we, we always want to be a church family, uh, our church family to be a place where everyone can come and hear the good news about Jesus. Whatever stage of life you're at, whatever your situation, to feel welcomed and loved and encouraged here. We're all sinners in need of grace. There's no one worse than others. But as we do that on, on any issue, it will inevitably come to the question, what is the loving thing to do? And we need to be really careful, don't we, that we don't start to define love by our own standards instead of humbly listening to God. And for all of us, look, the real prod comes, not with a Samaritan like in this story, but with the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, we've not been helped, have we, by a Samaritan at the side of the road, but by the Lord of heaven and earth who is nailed to a cross and he endured the agony of God's judgment and said he was doing it for you. See, whatever image we present, the cross says to us, this is what we really deserve. This is what we're really like. It's humbling, isn't it? When you think about the cross and what it says about you. And it's hard to look down on anyone else when you see this is how low Jesus went in order to save us, in order to bring us back up. That's how low he went. So it's hard to look down on anyone else when he's done that for you. And it's hard to pass by someone in need when you remember and you're clear that Jesus didn't pass you by, but stopped. And at the same time, it is deeply assuring because you begin to know my life is not secured by my own performance. It's all found in Jesus Christ. And so that means that Christianity is the one thing that can begin to make you really confident without making you really arrogant. It's the one thing that can make you really humble without making you really insecure when you trust Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this interaction uh, with this man who knew all about God, and yet his heart hadn't really been changed. Thank you for the way you spoke to him, both 
in strong ways, but in gracious ways, in kind ways. And we know our hearts can be like that as well. Thank you for the gospel, uh, that you didn't despise us, uh, but you came to save us. Uh, Thank you that when we were stuck in sin, you didn't pass by on the other side and leave us. You lovingly stopped. Thank you that you've gone to the cross for us, and please would you cause your gospel, the good news of what you've done, uh, cause it to be at work in us so we will trust you and listen to your word, that we will love you and also shape us so that we might love like you as well. Amen.